So I really felt, uh, probably because of all the things that are going on in this country, especially concerning elections and people losing it emotionally, I really felt we should talk about unity. But for more than that, I, I'm just going to say straight out, I believe unity is a foundational principle in God's word. And that it is, though it is not part of our statement of faith, because it's not really concerning that, but it, it has got to be high up there in what is important. And I'm going to review a little of last night, then we'll go into today a little more as I want to talk about Acts 15 concerning unity. But we see here in our first slide that Psalm 133.1, we sang it over and over again. Yachad is the word for unity. And then it says further on in that scripture, um, that there Adonai commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And you can understand there as in the location of Hermon, or you could understand there in the place of the people deciding to be in unity. And that's how I look at it, that unity uh, with God brings us life forevermore and unity with man um, brings uh, something to God that, that he understands, is, he, he, he is joyful when he sees us in unity together. In this parashot, or the, in, the, in these parashot, which is the plural for parash, parasha, uh, we, we see Isaac and his family, and this is a one dis dysfunctional family. Um, they cause terrible hurt on each other. And certainly unity was not their goal. Their goal was to be right. And each one seemed to have their own agenda. You know anybody like that? Or are you like that? God wants us to learn from their example. God wants us to learn from his words. So... We see in Genesis 11:6 very quickly that this was the Tower of Babel. In verse 6, it says, now nothing they planned would be impossible. And so what is God's solution to the problem of them uning, using unity incorrectly? His solution is to change their language. And I would say to you, right now, and I'll probably say this many times, that language is what either brings in unity or language makes disunity. Language is that important. And I think God shows it there. When you look at our history, the job of sin is to cause disruption confusion, separation of God from the very purpose that God has called you and I to. God's purpose, one of his purposes for us is to be in unity. And I will show that to you in a second. Unity with God is very different than unity with man. Unity with God is easy. 
Once you accept Yeshua into your life, unity with God is easy because you know he's sovereign. He sets the rules, and that's the end of the story. Your job is just to follow it. The more you follow it, the more you're in unity with him, and it's, it's, that's it. It's easy. Unity with men are totally different because there is no authority in men. God is our authority. And how we decide to follow him is even different from men. We can see it in denominations. We can see it in the messianic movement. People follow differently. And then the way we follow differently seems to cause disunity because everybody either feels they have to do it like the other person or they feel bad that they're not doing it like the other person or whatever. Unity has got to be one of our core values. Let's go to, look, John 17. You all know this scripture. We've read it so many times. But I just want to once again show you that Yeshua is praying to the Father. So that you've got to see that this is Yeshua's heart. And he says, I pray not on behalf of just these, you know, but also those who believe. And, you know, I do believe that's Jew and Gentile, but we don't have to discuss that now. That they all may be one. And so three times in these few scriptures, God, uh, Yeshua prays this. Just, in you, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so also may they be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And twice in this grouping of scriptures, it's the world may believe. Unity causes the world to believe. Unity causes the world to believe. And so what that means is Yeshua is seeking to motivate us to unity by letting us know that the salvation of the world is at stake based on our unity. Okay, that might be a hair of a stretch, but I really believe that unity is a big part of the world coming to know Yeshua as Messiah. My definition of unity is it's a purposeful decision to come together, overlooking what we differ in, in order to accomplish something greater, and that is God's will for unity. Now, you can't listen to this and not ask, so you want me to agree with people I who are wrong? And that's a reasonable question to ask. Unity is not saying wrong is right. But the desire for unity creates a way to even disagree and be in peace and be able to share love. Unity is saying that we're on the same team. And I think that's maybe the best analogy for unity when you think of football, baseball, or any sport, and if the team doesn't have good chemistry, if they're not in unity, they are going to not win as many games as if they feel good about each other. And you hear this talked about all the time. 
If you have a desire for unity, the question is, how do you become better at achieving it? So I have three thoughts. First thought, faith and hope result in love. Faith in the Lord, hope in the Lord, you can't help but love. If you are not loving, you are deficient in either faith or hope or both. Because we understand that when you put yourself out there and you're being transparent, you can get hurt. And the only way that you can put yourself out there and don't care whether you're hurt or not is to have faith and hope. And the faith and hope result in your ability to love. Secondly, love and humility result in a soothing language. Love alone, as many of you can attest, those of you who are married and love each other, love alone doesn't bring a soothing tongue. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we're out of control with our words. But love and humility do bring a soothing tongue. It is a soothing language. Because when we are humble, we think less importantly of ourselves, And so our words will be more soothing. Now, they might not be perfect, but once again, even when we're finished, uh, saying something irritating, stupid, or angry, angrily, we immediately, through humility, ask for forgiveness. Something that doesn't seem to be apparent to anybody in politics. Thirdly, soothing language results in unity. Bless you. If we together speak well and encouraging of each other, we will have unity. If we want to tell a story about somebody else in here and what they did last week or what they did yesterday or what they did that you find uh, reprehensible, we will not be in unity because that story will go from place to place to place. I can guarantee you this. Donna's testimony today will not probably be retold by anybody here. But if I tell you something bad about somebody else here, it'll be retold 20 times. Of course, you know I wouldn't do that. There's so many scriptures and I went over a lot of them yesterday that have to do with unity. But today, I'm going to take what I think is a scripture that you would never think of for unity and talk about unity, which is Acts 15. Acts 15 is, an, is a scripture, and if you, if you want to summarize it, the summary of Acts 15 is we all got together and we tried to figure out whether Gentiles had to become Jewish to believe in Yeshua. There's your summary of Acts 15. Now let's look at each verse. 
starting with verse 1. Now, some men coming down from Judea were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had a big argument and debate with them, the brothers appointed Paul and Barnabas with some others from among them to go up to Jerusalem to the emissaries and elders about this issue. First thing, this was not a small issue. This was a statement of faith issue. How do people get saved? So this was not, oh, let's just have a little discussion and we'll have some, no. This was a biggie. This would be a biggie today. And they had a huge argument. But look what happened at the end of the argument. Obviously, they weren't finished with the argument, but they said, you know, we'll send a few people and look, we'll, we, we have great respect for you guys, but we also want to send you to Jerusalem where the other leaders are and you discuss it and, and figure out where we're going from here. Well, that already takes humility to say, okay, you guys discuss it. So they appointed some to go to Jerusalem for this big discussion. Verse 3, so they were sent on their way by the Antioch community. They were passing both through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, conver uh, the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the community and the emissaries and the elders. They reported all that God had done in helping them. So Paul and Barnabas made their case as to what God was doing with the Gentiles. It was amazing. In fact, even on our way to Jerusalem, I mean, we couldn't help ourselves. The Gentiles were all coming to Yeshua. And so here we see one of the things that is important when we argue or when we debate or when we talk about things we disagree with, it is reasonable to bring something out uh, Expend, uh, experience, ex experientially, that's my word, thank you. Experientially, we, it is reasonable to do that. It's not the only thing we do when we discuss things, but experience does matter. Okay, let's continue. So verse 5, but some belonging to the party of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, um, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the Torah of Moses. Okay, first of all, these are Pharisees, but they're Pharisees who believe in Yeshua, right? So they are now saying, okay, we understand all your experiences. That's really, really great. But in a sense, they're not saying they need to become Jewish, but in a sense, they need to be circumcised and follow the Torah of Moses. Uh, pretty much that's saying you need to be Jewish. So, verse 6, the emissaries and elders were gathered together to examine this issue. Now, look, <laughs> who these days examines? This, this word is probably not used in the English language anymore. We're here to argue. You making it a little warmer? Good, because it's freezing. Um, 
I need more hot air coming out of me. This will help. Uh, but examine, they actually were trying to look into the scriptures, into the, what has happened in the past. They, they, they're trying to get the heart of God. They want to examine it. They're not, they stopped arguing for a while. And they said, let's examine. So they pulled back, which is really an important thing when you're having a hot discussion. Pull back a little and let us examine. Verse 7, after much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God chose from among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the message of good news and believe. Now, so Peter takes something that they seem to all agree on. So he starts with agreement, which is very important when you're discussing Get some common ground. Don't start with your argument. Start with your agreement. And so, um, verse 8, and, and God who knows the heart testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, just as he also did for us. Okay, that's going to be hard to disagree with. Then he continues, he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts through faith. Now, I guess people could have disagreed with that, but they allowed him to continue. Why then do you put God to the test by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. In other words, we couldn't keep all the law anyway, and now you're, keeping, you're telling what we couldn't keep, you're putting it on them. But instead, and the final part of Peter's argument, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Yeshua in the same way as they are, which is repetition of what he said uh, two sentences above, that there's no distinction between us. Uh, our, we, we come by our hearts through faith. So they examined the issue. There was debate. Peter gives his opinion. My sense from reading this is this rings true with most people who were there. We don't kind of get the same sense. And then we see something very interesting. Verse 12, then the whole group became silent and were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were describing in detail all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now, let me say this. Silence is really a good idea sometimes. And then listening is also a good idea. So, um, I, hopefully Eric won't mind. But, you know, Eric was teaching last week and I wasn't there, but I got the recording and I'm listening to it and I'm saying, I don't agree with this. And, um, but, you know, when Eric teaches, he always, he makes a lot of sense. So you can't just go by it and say, I don't agree. 
And as I told him a little while before services, I had to spend like an hour thinking about whether he was right or I was right or I misunderstood what he said. And uh, one of the things that I've learned about Eric and his teaching is that he thinks completely differently than I do. I mean, there is nothing probably that he would say that I would say because our minds just don't work the same. They just don't. So I don't get upset when I disagree with him. I start looking and seeing, okay, this is a challenge. And the challenge is, is he right? Am I right? Is it somewhere in the middle? And, and this, I think, is an important thing that we have to learn to do, to put ourselves to the side and, and try and see what God is saying because God is, is, is not always speaking through me. He's speaking through other people. And we have to open our hearts up to hearing being silent and, and hearing. And so I didn't even get to the end of his teaching from last week because I spent an hour on the first 10 minutes just trying to figure out if I was right, if he was right, or it's something in the middle or I didn't understand. Now, also interesting, which is sort of a sidelight, so I come to Eric before services and I say something really silly that maybe if, maybe it wouldn't have been okay if it were somebody else to say. But I probably said something like, you know, Eric, I totally disagree with what you taught last week. I mean, there no, you know, and, and I'm, but you know, I'm saying it with a smile on my face and not with, uh, uh, hopefully not an air of condemnation, but an air of, you know, we're gonna have to have a talk because I, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you were saying. And we, we talked for a couple minutes upstairs anyway, and, and then I'm sure it's not gonna be the end of the conversation. But the important thing is that if I felt that I had hurt his feelings, which I didn't, and you'd have to ask him later as to whether I did or I didn't, but, no, oh good. Well, yeah, and, and, and because he and I have had disagreements before, and it's important, that they're healthy disagreements, absolutely, there's iron sharpening iron, and, and this is not a, something that s disturbs the unity of the body. This is healthy, healthy thinking of, of, okay, so maybe I see it this way. At uh, any rate, I don't want to get stuck here, but I, I just think it's really important to not react when you hear something that doesn't sound right to you, but to allow it to... Un to understand it. Verse 13, after they finished speaking, Jacob answered, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for his name. 
So one of the nice things about this, Jacob spoke when Paul and Barnabas finished. Well, that's unique. He didn't talk over them. If you ever watch the news, any of these stations where they're interviewing somebody else, and it's like, yeah, have you ever watched it where two people are speaking at the same time and your head is ready to blow up? It's even worse when there are three people speaking at the same time, you know, and, and your head is just going, please stop. What are they saying? But this was not what happened. Jacob waited till they finished and then he spoke. Another important thing when we're discussing things, to not be prepared to give your answer before you heard what the other person said so that you, you, you can be humble and give room for that other opinion. So, verse 15. The words of the prophet agree as it, was, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, namely all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says Adonai, who make makes these things known from of old. So, uh, you know, so Jacob's using scripture and saying, look, we, we should have seen this happening. We should have seen this coming. That God, all through his word, was trying to bring in the nations. And yes, we were the first, and yes, we were given God's word, but the word we were given was for the world. And we were to try and bring that word so that everybody would know the one true God. So, 19, Therefore I judge not to trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but to write to them to abstain from the uh, contamination of idols and from sexual immorality and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has had in every city those who proclaim him since he is read in all the synagogues every Shabbat. Now, I'm not sure that the last line was a big selling point there because um, because we're referring to Moses being proclaimed, and I understand the context here, but the, ver the line before it is so scriptural, you have a hard time not agreeing. In fact, the scriptures are Exodus 22:31, Exodus 34:15 through 17, Leviticus 3, 17, 7, 8 through 13, 18, 6 through 26. This is not a rabbinic thought here. Four things. Abstain from contamination of idols. I think that speaks for itself. Uh, sexual immorality. That too uh, makes sense. Food str uh, that is strangled, a little different. We're not going to go into that today. We could talk more about kosher laws and food with blood. But that's what they came into agreement with. They came, they actually ended up in this council agreeing on those four things that would be needed 
Uh, and, and that was not to be saved, but that was to walk with the Lord in the way God had asked them to. Was everybody totally convinced at that meeting? Well, I wasn't there, and Scripture doesn't say. So I can't tell you if they were or they're not. But I would think that if you have a meeting like this, they were not all in agreement. Yet, somehow, they decided that it was okay to speak in unity. So there must have been some sort of compromising of hearts and minds, because they obviously, based on what we had read before, didn't start like this. But they ended up with some sort of a compromise that seemed okay to everybody. In fact, it says in verse 22, then it seemed good to the emissaries and elders with the whole community to choose men from among themselves to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judah called um, Barsabbas and, and uh, Silas, leading men among the brethren, and this letter along with them. Now, Paul and Barnabas could have been angry. They could have taken offense at that. I mean, don't you trust me? I came here as a representative. Now you're sending two other guys with me to make sure that I deliver the message correctly? But they didn't take offense. So it says, to the Gentile brothers of Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some from among us have troubled you with words disturbing to your souls. Okay, so here we are. We are trying to be uh, direct as to what they have come up with. But they start with lifting the people who they're talking to, they lift them up first. And they're saying, we understand what you've gone through. We understand that there's been an issue, and it's right to have this issue. I mean, there's all sorts of encouragement in this. See, we've heard uh, that uh, among us that these words have troubled and disturbed your soul. Although we gave them no such authorization, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, there it is, they came to an agreement to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Okay, so here it is. We could have been, Barnabas and Paul could have been offended, but in the letter it says we're sending them back, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, we're sending them back to you along with others. But they are beloved. Well, how could Barnabas and Paul be upset then? And, and even more, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So when somebody you disagree with and you are talking about them to somebody else, do you say, and even though they risk their lives for Yeshua the Messiah, or even though they've been uh, believers for 10 years and they've done all these good things, this is the area I might disagree with them on. No, we don't. We just slaughter them. 
And God is showing us through this how to be encouraging even though we're talking about one of the most important issues of being a believer. We therefore have sent you Judah and Silas, who themselves will report to you the same things by word of mouth. It seemed good to the Ruach HaKodesh and to us not to place any greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things offered to idols and blood and strangled in the sexual immorality. By keeping away from these things, you will do well. Shalom. Now, I understand that I've taken a long time in, in reading this portion of scripture, but do you see the tremendous example of respect, love, purpose, humility, all the things that are necessary to bring in unity. If you think about this, this should bring your family into unity, it should bring the congregation into unity, because we have a great purpose, and that is serving Yeshua the Messiah. Imagine if we had disagreements like this, and we wanted to force our own agenda. But instead, listen, because they were seeking the heart of God. Let me kind of close with a couple thoughts. I had a really good friend of mine, and a great, great man of God. A number of years ago, he had a sudden accident and died. There had been disagreements between the organization he represented and the organization I was in. And it went on for years. Though I always kept my relationship with him, it wasn't as close as it could have been and should have been. When he died, imagine, Everybody came who disagreed to his funeral. Nobody had a problem with unity at his funeral. We all came together. There were maybe 400 of us. It was a large funeral. They came from California. They came from the South. They came from the North. They came from Chicago and all over. And for a day, everybody was unified. Shouldn't we be in unity for common goals rather than just at times of tragedy? You know, I keep praying to God that he will teach this country without bringing tragedy. At 9-11, country was very, we came together. Lasted a week or two. People used to go, to, went to services those weeks too. But how quickly we forget. How quickly do we use, lose the humble spirit that caused us the correct attitude. Our purpose is to share the good news of Messiah. His love, his gift to us, his atonement of sins.
Oftentimes we don't have time because we've been arguing and discussing and considering our theological differences rather than sharing the love of Messiah. It's kind of funny. I go to a dinner every three or four months where there are like seven or eight different uh, denominations re represented. And I remember how much time we spent listening to how the uh, Catholics and uh, the Lutherans, I think it was, no, it was Catholic and the Episcopal, I think, um, how they, uh, after so many years of, of um, arguing and, and having problems with each other, they, they got together and, and I don't even know all, but, but the problem is, this is what we talked about. This is what they spent so many hours and days and weeks and months and years on. And it, it's just such a distraction. Here's a suggestion of how you can be a messenger of unity for the Lord. Number one, let us be in unity about our statement of faith. Our statement of faith covers five things. It's real simple. Just think of your hand. It's a very Jewish thing, by the way. Uh, five things. Number one, the Bible is what we go by. It's inerrant. We, we go by the Bible. It's our bottom line. Number two, we believe in the Father. Number three, we believe in the Son. Number four, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm simplifying things, obviously. Uh, as you talk about the triune nature of God with Eric today at 2 o'clock, uh, it gets way more complicated than that. But the bottom line is we believe that is, that is the three persons of God, one God in three persons, for lack of a better word. But, and then the fifth thing is salvation. Those are our five statements of faith. And once you get past that, I believe, number two, we should show liberty and grace in the application of our core values. And what I mean by that is we have to give people space. It doesn't mean we shouldn't discuss things. It does mean we should be respectful. We should care. Number three, let us be examples of charity and love in everything we do. In everything we do. In everything we do. In everything we do. Number four, no buts. Does that mean don't be a butthead? No, I don't know. No buts mean you can't use the word but. I would have been nice to you, but when you said this, it really irritated me. Which gives you the right to be irritating back. But it is not what I believe Yeshua desires. The word but, when you use the word but, you are giving yourself an excuse for doing the wrong thing in this context. Do not give yourself an excuse to do what is wrong. 
Some people believe that revival at Shoresh David will come through right theology or right practices. If we're more Jewish, less Jewish. If, we, um, if our music is, is slower or faster, if we do more music, less music, you know, uh, whatever it is, People always have ideas as to why Shoresh isn't 5,000 people synagogue and, and um, but I really believe that when we love more, when we're humble, when we humble ourselves more, when we prefer each other more in love, when we deny ourselves more and we, we live the good news of Yeshua rather than just talk about what it should be, then revival will come. Revival begins when people say, I want Yeshua in my life, and through his power working in me, I will be in unity with God and with man, and my language will reflect my intentions. So I pray that you will pray about making unity a goal in your life. Let me close by, of course, saying John 14, 6, Yeshua said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that means to be in unity with God requires you to receive Yeshua into your life. And so the way that we see through Scripture is that God wants us to repent. We know that Yochanan, the immerser, was immersing people as they repented for the forgiveness of sins. Well, repenting is just the beginning, so we repent. Secondly, we say, I believe in Yeshua because he was the final sacrifice, and we, our sins are atoned for through him. And finally, we dedicate our lives to the Lord. We make him number one. We make ourselves less than. He is number one. We seek to do his will as best we can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you and worship you, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would touch our hearts. Lord, this is such a difficult issue. The flesh rises up, and, and we need the fruits of the Spirit, especially self-control, to not let the flesh dictate our behavior. But, Lord, we also need your love, your, your humility, the, the things that are characteristics of you, Lord. We need them strongly in our lives so we can truly be who you've called us to be and asked us to be. Father, please, we know that perfect love casts out fear. I pray that if anybody is fearful here, in terms of loving, in terms of desiring unity. I pray that Yeshua would be stronger in their life and that fear would be cast out. And I pray, Lord, that you would just minister, minister to us, that our congregation would flourish as we prefer one another in love. And even when we disagree with certain issues of Scripture, that you would show us how to resolve it because you have told us in your word that we are to have a ministry 
of reconciliation. And Lord, you have reconciled us to you. How silly it would be if we would not reconcile others to us. You've already modeled it. So we bless you. We thank you. We honor you. We worship you. We praise you. In you is all the glory. All the glory. So Lord, work this day. And if there's somebody here who has never accepted Yeshua into your heart, made a, a declaration that Yeshua is your Lord, then I'd ask you to repent. I'd ask you to state that you, in your heart that you believe in Yeshua as atonement for your sin and that you are willing to dedicate your life and make God number one in your life. And if you like to do that, I'd ask you to do that with somebody as well. And so this last song is a time where people come up for prayer. They come up because they want healing. They come up uh, for physical healing, emotional healing, financial healing, healing of relationships. In fact, this next Friday night, we're going to have a special healing service. But we need to be healed. And so feel free to come up for prayer because there is nobody like our God. And that's what we're going to be singing. There is nobody like you, Lord. Come up for prayer. This is the wells, the water of salvation, the nourishment that you need to live the abundant life. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and worship you in the name of Yeshua.